Welcome to the Lead Defend Podcast, a show designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build up your faith as you engage a changing culture. Now, here are your hosts. Hey, welcome back to Lead Defend Podcast. This is Ryan. I'm here with Brock, and hey, we've got a special guest. Tyler Sikora with us. Now, Ty, is, am I pronouncing that last name right? You are, yep. Tyler okay. Sikora. Yep. Now, Tyler, I just learned that you were a football phenom <laughs> at the Southern Arkansas <laughs> University. Yeah. There's some mule riders that listen in regularly, so that's good stuff. Now, what year did you graduate there? I uh, graduated with my undergraduate degree in 2012, uh, master's degree in 2015. And then I, my last year to play football was uh, 2014, I believe. All right, so 2014 grad from SAU. But you came from Hot Springs, so you're an Arkansan, born yep, and local. bred. Yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, Brock, give us a little bit of your history with Tyler. How did you first meet Tyler? Yeah, so Tyler and I were student leaders here at, at Midwestern Seminary. We're getting to record again today from the, the Spurgeon Library here. And uh, we were students together, uh, had, had classes together, and uh, kind of formed a friendship with that. And uh, had, a, had a great seminary experience. Tyler's still here pursuing some PhD work, and so while we were up here, I, I said, I gotta get this guy on the podcast. Now, Tyler, tell us honestly, what kind of student was Brock? Oh, he's a great student. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I think Brock and I had really good conversations throughout our student leadership days. We were always bouncing things off of each other. Brock was involved in student ministry. At that point, I had done a lot of internships and been involved in the church, but hadn't actually formally served in ministry role, so got to ask him a lot of questions. Now, full transparency, Tyler serves on staff at Midwestern, so he yeah, probably he can't technically slander a former student for his like, <laughs> studies or anything. Is that's, that right? not, that's not good for enrollment. <laughs> no, not good for enrollment yeah. at all. Tyler, where do you serve? Now. So I serve in the President's Office at Midwestern Seminary. I'm Dr. Jason Allen's Chief of Staff. I've been doing that for two years now. Before that, I was his research assistant and then uh, also worked in the admissions office as like a, re a recruitment specialist, whatever that means. Basically, we travel and recruit some, give campus tours, but uh, have been in Midwestern for about six years now. now. Chief of Staff sounds really fancy. What in the world do you do? Yeah, probably too fancy. Um, I help run the President's Office at Midwestern Seminary and oversee Dr. Allen's schedule, um, his events, speaking, I help him edit and do personal things, oversee um, the basic uh, functions and events that the trustees are involved in. So that's kind of one of my bigger responsibilities is, is helping serve the trustees, getting them here twice a year. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of events in the president's office, so speed lecture tours, so uh, not tours, I'm sorry, lecture events. So like in the fall, we have the Spurgeon lectures with Dr. Stephen Lawson coming, um, help facilitate those. And so it's a bunch of different things. I would say there's not like a list of four or five things that I mainly do. I, it's a lot of a, a, a grab bag job that helps sure. to um, hopefully serve Dr. Allen, make his life easier in whatever way that it yeah. is. Yeah, and you don't really get to that role without being a leader, right? And that's what we're here to talk about today on the Lead Defend Podcast is leadership. So I guess the first question is, when did you first start recognizing that there are some leadership traits in you? Was it something that you recognized in yourself or something that somebody pointed out? Yeah, that's a good question. I think growing up, I would say I was back and forth between a leader and a follower. I mm. liked being liked. And so I think that before I was a Christian specifically, and I had any kind of integrity or any kind of foundation on which to lead from, mm -hmm. uh, I was back and forth. So depending on what we were doing, if we were doing something that I felt comfortable with, it was no big deal, then I would be happy to lead out. Um, if it was something that uh, I was less familiar with, I, I would have no problem following. So it's just, I would say, really inconsistent before I met Christ sure. and was converted. And so 
um, probably recognized that I was a leader, meaning that people that I had that ability probably around football whenever I began to play quarterback. And I'd always grown up, you know, watching Brett Favre and others, and I'd always heard that uh, quarterbacks had to be the leaders, that they were the ones that commanded the field, that they were the ones that everyone looked to when the game was on the line. Sure. That type of thing. So that was always fascinating to me, and I, I wanted that. I didn't, I didn't know why, because to, to be honest, I think I struggled with confidence most of my life with sports. I was very much um, seeking to be a more balanced player and not be up or not be too down. And so I think that's where I first realized, associated with peewee football, and then uh, played football my sophomore year and realized that actually I, people do listen to me. I do have wow. a voice in the huddle. Um, they do look to me whenever the game's on, that type of thing. And so I think that it was probably largely associated with sports. Yeah, unfortunately for a guy that likes to be liked, sometimes the quarterback's not a popular position either. <laughs> that's when a good word. When things don't go yeah, well. That's exactly right. I have been on the both sides of that where, you know, you win the game. Um, my retro freshman year, we were playing South Alabama. They were ranked. I uh, got to go in in the fourth quarter. My retro freshman year, I didn't start, but I got to play a lot. And uh, our quarterback, he was a, a retro junior, he twisted his ankle, and so I got to go in, and it was wow. fourth quarter. We were down by seven. Uh, I think there was like 30 seconds left, and we ran what's called a smash route with a seam, which if you know football, you understand that terminology. If you don't, that's okay. Basically, <laughs> we, we they were in a cover two defense, and we had I had to read the safety, and so I had a smash route or a corner route on the outside, and then a, a slot receiver that was splitting the safeties, and uh, I threw a, like a 75-yard touchdown to, to – Sent us to overtime, which we ended up winning. As a freshman. As a freshman, yeah. It was super fun. One of my, my best sports memories. But at the same time, there's been moments where I haven't delivered. And yeah. say I threw a pick in the fourth quarter that ended up costing us the game. And so being a good leader uh, is leading through adversity oftentimes. Mm. Yeah, so you mentioned one thing. You said you like to be liked. And I think if there's something that really describes this generation of young leaders and wow. young people in general, we are people who like to be liked? You, you think of social media, mm -hmm. case in point. You're posting things that are that are trying to garner attraction, uh, that to get likes, get follows. As a as a young leader, how did you and how do you overcome what we might call like fear of man? How how do you get past um, caring about what people think about you so that you can lead? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm still trying to figure that out. The fear of man is something that uh, I think that most most Christians would struggle with. Um, I think that it's something that if you don't struggle with, you probably just don't know that you struggle with it. Um, but uh, I think that it is pivotal if you look at the scriptures all throughout, especially the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and yeah. countless on. So I think that the first and primary thing is understanding who we are in Christ. So I'd say my answer completely changed from before conversion to after, meaning once I was in Christ and I, was, I realized who I was, my identity was not in what people said about me. My identity was not in if people liked me or not. My identity yeah. was in Christ and what he had done. And that is where I needed to find my comfort, my source. Because if you read the New Testament, not many of the people who were faithful, and if you read the Bible for that matter, yeah. not many of the people who were faithful and were good leaders were liked. I mean, if you look at the prophets even, most of them died. They were hated wow. by their own people. And so if, if our goal in life is to be liked or to garner attention from specifically the public and that are not Christians, that's a fool's errand that will end in heartache yeah. and difficulty. But if your goal in life is to fear the Lord and to honor Him, that will ground you and give you peace even when people don't like you. Yeah, and I, it reminds me in the Gospel of John where it's like there's some, some leaders who, it says they believe in Jesus, but they won't confess that they believe it because they 
they cared about the glory of man more than the glory of God. Yeah. And and so that getting that right is, is so key for being able to lead even when you're so concerned about people liking you. But you were able to, to play football and even were able to get to a, a fairly high level. So will you tell us a little bit about where your football career took you? Sure. Yeah, so I uh, played football in high school and was really not very good, to be honest. I uh, had a big brother. You went to where in high school? To Jesseville High School. Yep. Okay. Was not very, very good. My big brother was an all-star at everything he did, but he did not play football. And so I was pretty much... That was your shot. That was my shot. (laughs) I was was like, all right, I'm not Zach's little brother when it comes to football. Because everywhere else I was known as, you know, Zach Sikor's little brother, which is fine. I love my brother and he's uh, a great guy. But I wanted to get out of a shadow and I wanted to to play. And I I knew, uh, growing up, I always loved throwing the football. And I could throw it a mile. I could throw it really hard. I was not very accurate. It was more so just something fun that I did. Well, anyways, I ended up playing high school, um, was good enough to get recruited, but not good enough to actually, like, to go far. So I'm not going to tell you through the high school recruiting journey, but <laughs> ended up at Southern Arkansas, and uh, really they took a chance on me, gave me an opportunity. Coach um, Keppel uh, was his first year yeah. there. We hadn't had a winning season in 20 years, and so it was going into, like, well, you know. Can't they, get much worse. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so uh, really didn't even know the game of football that well, but through uh, those coaches investing in me, giving me opportunities, and learning to to fail a lot, figuring out that that's part of success is learning to fail well. And so anyways, ended up having a career that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, My junior year, we broke several school records. Um, By the end of my career, I had broken 17 school records at SAU, and we had really just done a lot of cool things. My junior year, we were 8-2 and and got to make a bowl game, which we lost last second uh, on a field goal. But... Um, going into my senior year, I was told um, by I had meetings, interviews with about 30 of the 32 NFL teams and was told by most of them that at this point, if I have a successful senior year, I could possibly be a late draft pick. No one was promising me anything. In the sure. NFL, it's a very much a business and no one, no one promises anything really. But was told that if I, if I had the same success for my junior year, then, then I could possibly be a late draft pick or uh, more than likely I'll just get a free agent deal. And so that was my expectation. That was my hope. Well, my senior year happens, and we don't have the same year. Sure. I, I don't have the productivity. Still had a decent year. It was not bad. We were 6-4. and four. I think the main thing that I struggled with then was my completion percentage was not near as high as it was the year before. Nonetheless, uh, on draft night, the Kansas City Chiefs called, offered me their rookie mini camp, and then they pulled it about an hour later. Mm, wow. Then that was the moment that I realized how much sin and idolatry I had in football. I, I was so mad because I had so many expectations. I mean, we even had, like, a draft party. Yeah. So, like, family and friends were there. And they everyone knew that, like, there was not a, really a chance of me getting drafted. But almost everyone expected, because of what my agents were telling me and the scouts were saying, is that, you know, I would at least get a deal and get to go sure. prove myself somewhere. It didn't happen. And so, yeah. heard from the Chiefs, got, called, got pulled, and then I sat for, like, a month of just basically being frustrated. I was still training every day, still doing everything I could to be as ready as I could be. Um, but about a month later, the Seattle Seahawks reached out, went, uh, invited me to a, a tryout, basically. Um, so I flew out to Seattle, had a tryout, and I walked off the field thinking, I'm about to be a Seattle Seahawk. I had yeah. one of the best practices I'd had. I knew it was going to be a good practice when my first route I threw, first pass I threw was to a slant, and I threw it pretty good. I mean, that's one of the things that, that the Lord had given me was a strong arm. And uh, the coach behind me cursed. And so whenever I heard the curse, <laughs> he was like, the D word, really loud. I was like, dang. I was like, all right, this is going to be a good day. Wow. Yeah, so yeah. that was that was pretty funny. Uh, kind of made me chuckle a little bit. But uh, had a great practice. They ended up not signing me. Ended up basically saying, hey, we really like you. Keep working hard. You never know what's going to happen in the future. Sure. So 
Uh, that fell through. It wasn't hearing anything else really at that point from any other NFL teams, so began to consider the CFL. Thought I was going to get to play for a team in the Canadian League, and uh, it fell through last minute, so that was disappointing. Had a contract for the AFL, Arena League. It fell through last minute. So it was just like one door after another over yeah. about a year's time just kept closing. And throughout this time, I guess a really key point of my story was that I felt called to ministry about my sophomore year of college. Yeah, you were really involved in campus ministry. That's right. ABS, yep, Association that's right. of Baptist Students. For, for BCN. For that's college right. Yeah, man, BCN, right. campus ministry campus is so ministry. important. Yep. And so you were called to ministry right there. Yep, called to ministry, got to preach for the first time, and really thought after that, like, I don't want to do anything else with my life. However, and I even sought counsel, like, counsel in that moment, like, do I quit football? Yeah. Do I go attend a Bible school or something? And from, at that point, a lot of mentors in my life counseled me, said that that was, you know, not, not the best thing, that they thought that I should finish my career, finish my degree, and then I can go to seminary. Sure. I was really ignorant, had no idea about any of that stuff. And so I listened to them, ended up finishing it, and, and the rest is history. But um, throughout that year of, of being rejected and not knowing what was going to happen, um, the Lord began to cultivate in me, one, a sense of my sin associated with football, how much I enjoyed the limelight. So even though I said the right things in the interviews and would give credit to the Lord, that type of thing, I really enjoyed it too much. Yeah. I was actually placing a lot of my value in that and being somebody and making something of myself. And so the Lord worked on that and, and just began to crush my idol. And at the same time, he was also growing my desire for ministry, for wow. preaching the Bible, for teaching the Bible to people. I actually got to do a little interim pastorate, a little country church, Corinth Baptist Church, right outside of Magnolia. And that was where I realized I needed seminary because I had yeah. no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I was preaching through Philippians, and I was pretty much a John MacArthur and John Piper puppet because I was like, sure. I have no idea how to get a sermon out of this text. However, long story short, I get called back to Seattle the following year, do a rookie mini camp there. And it was there that the Lord cemented in my mind, okay, it's time to hang up the cleats, not pursue this dream anymore. Because at that point, I was still going hard, trying yeah. to get... To, so you're training most days, right. and you're still on the yeah. grind. Six days a week, busting it as hard as I can, trying to, to, to make a team, trying to give someone interest. And so I go back out to Seattle, and it was actually on the practice field, talking with Coach Pete Carroll, um, have the, the jersey on, have the helmet on. This, this has been my dream since I was watching Brett Favre as a four- and five-year-old, and, and wanting to do that where I began to sense that the Lord was basically saying, like, yeah, this is not for you anymore. And yeah. my desires had changed. I called my wife. I was like, hey, I'm actually excited to come home. Like, I think we need to move. And so at that point, we'd already decided to come to Kansas City. Um, there was a big backstory with between Southern and, and Midwestern. Sure. Ended up uh, feeling that the Lord was leading us to Kansas City to attend Midwestern Seminary. And so, yeah, got off the plane. We moved about a month later. Yeah. That's incredible. So as you walk through that journey of discerning God's call in your life, what would be some advice to the next generation, those coming up after you? What, what words of wisdom would you give them as they seek to explore God's call for their life? Yeah, that's a great question. I, and I'm going to break this up into two categories. So first, to discuss someone who doesn't necessarily feel the Lord leading you to, to ministry, but just, you just sure. want to be a faithful follower of Christ yeah. in the public sphere, whatever that may be. The first thing I would say is figure out what you really enjoy doing. So um, if you have any desires, if you love to serve people, love to help people, if you like medicine, anyways like that, there, there's going to be numerous things, numerous did, desires. Did you say life. if you like drugs? No. <laughs> That's what I heard. I mean, you could interpret it that way. Oh, okay. But more so meant like if you had a desire to help people. Oh, okay, okay. Serve like people. a doctor. Yeah, like a doctor. Yeah. If you uh, you know love sports and you think you could, could faithfully coach 
you know, or something like that. There's countless things you can do. So first, I, I just didn't, I just didn't want you to go on record saying if you like drugs, no. just pursue you, that the rest you, of your life. Dr. Allen's that's assistant. Right, that's right. This is why nuance is so incredibly uh, important yeah. in this life. So first, figure out what you desire to do, what you like to do, what you could possibly do. Second, narrow it down and ask yourself if. Could you honor the Lord well in doing that? And, and for most of the things you would think of, the answer is going to be yes. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of freedom as a Christian uh, to do a lot of different things for the glory of God. And so you don't have to feel like you're going to live a less than certain life if you're not doing what everyone thinks you should do or something like that. But, but ask yourself that question, can I bring glory to the Lord by doing this? And, and I would say yeah. probably most of the time, yes. So at that point, you're still probably going to have like, okay, well, one or two things. And then I would say, how do you decide between those things? I think you ask yourself another helpful question could could be, what would make the most impact for the kingdom of Christ if between those two jobs? And yeah. if there's a if wow. there's a clear answer to that, like it's like actually I think I could have a lot of opportunities to make much of Christ in this vocation. Then I think that that, that could be you know the deciding factor between you uh, between that. And then fourth, uh, I would even challenge you just to do whatever it is well. Uh, that, that Christians should be the hardest workers. They should be the most yeah. consistent people. They should be the people with the most integrity. And, and it's in working hard, and it's in doing whatever God has called you to do, whatever ability he's given you to do, that you do it well. That's where I think Christ is going to be magnified and honored. And then uh, I love R.C. Sproul, and one time I was reading a book, where he was trying to decide between, um, he, he said that the question was posed, like, I've got two godly women in front of me, and I don't know which one to choose. And he said, well, which one's more beautiful? <laughs> and so uh, there's a little humor that's there. That's R.C. Sproul. That's right, that's R.C. Sproul. And I just think that there's wisdom in that, to not overcomplicate this question in your life, that that um, the Lord has given you great freedom in Christ, as long as there's no sin associated with what you want to do, uh, to, to do what you desire and to do it well for his glory and for his, his kingdom. So I don't know if you guys have any follow-up thoughts. That, that gives great freedom, though. It, because it, it's not a formula that you interject. It's, all right, God, what passions have you given me? Yeah. You know, you mentioned John MacArthur shaping some of your thoughts early on. He wrote a book, Found God's Will, yeah. and he said, hey, if these five S's are true in your life, do whatever you want. Yeah. If you're saved, sanctified, submissive, spirit-filled, and willing to suffer. Yep. Now, and you, you echo that. You're like, man, it's simple. Yep. That's right. So I think we tend to overcomplicate things. Absolutely. How did you see that playing out in your journey of the football career? Yeah. Were you tempted to overcomplicate things? When did it become simple, or did it ever? Yeah, I, I think I have always been one to overcomplicate things. Sure. My dad used to tell me all the time growing up, like, get out of your own head. Like, stop <laughs> thinking too much. And so uh, while that, for some people, they need to think more, I think I tend to scrutinize everything I did and just wor- I was a worrier. Um, and so I would say that for me, it became more clear after football was taken away. I wow. would have said if you, were, if you were to ask me my entire football career and even my call to ministry, things like that, I had a pretty general roadmap before me. So I'm going to play football as long as I can. Yeah. felt like there was a lot of opportunities to honor Christ by, by bringing attention to him. If I got to play in the NFL, that would be a platform from which I could you know, share the gospel with my teammates, with mm-hmm. others. Uh, plus the compensation was great, so you know I could provide for my family, for seminary, that type of thing. So I knew that, you know, I, I have no guilty conscience about playing football as long sure. as the Lord would allow. But, um, and the plan was always to attend seminary after. But after the Lord took it away, that wow. was where I felt like I had a crisis moment, where I felt like my identity was truly revealed in the sense of, oh yeah, actually I have way more at stake in this than I had let on. 
And so that was the moment where I had to really think, like, am I content to just be a faithful Christian without football? And obviously the answer has to be yes, because yeah. that's not in my control. But I wanted my heart to be okay with that. I mm -hmm. wanted my desires to be, yes, Lord, whatever, wherever, wow. wherever you'd call. And so I think that there was a moment where my sin became real, uh, my conviction to preach and teach the Bible also became real at that same time. And it's almost like the Lord substituted one desire for another. So for me, it was relatively a, a simple process in one sense. It was a very painful one. But it, it wasn't um, overly complex because at the same time the Lord was breaking me of sin, He was also revealing to me uh, what I think He was calling me to do, which is to pursue ministry. Yeah, and I think sometimes as... As Ryan said, we overcomplicate that question, what's God's will for, for our life? And that kind of gives us a parameter. I've heard it described as more of, of like a target. You know, some people will view God's will of your life. You've you got to hit the bullseye. But in reality, he's giving you a target. And as long as you're within the boundaries of, of what he says is good and right, then you're going to be perfectly fine. But what about the student who maybe is trying to wrestle through this call to ministry? We have a lot of listeners who, yeah. who are maybe thinking right now, is God calling me into some ministry, whether that's pastoral ministry or um, some type of, of student ministry, BCM ministry even? You know, what would you say to them to discern whether or not God's calling them to be a faithful follower of Christ in whatever vocation that they're in, or whether he's calling them to some type of like ministry leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the call to ministry is something that can be at one time, one sense, overcomplicated in our the way we talk about it, and we can at sometimes be unhelpful. So hopefully this will be a little bit more clarifying. And I think the first thing we need to, to establish is that it is a good and right thing to desire yeah. the ministry, that God yeah. has called certain people to be pastors yeah. and elders. Um, and so I think that this is something that, that you should not be ashamed of. I've heard older preachers specifically where it was like they... They wanted to emphasize that they ran from the call. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to necessarily run from the call. Like, I think it's a glorious thing. Didn't work out well for Jenna. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you may end up in the big belly of a big fish. Um, but uh, I, I think it's something to be celebrated it, that the Lord, in the Lord's kindness, there are certain uh, men that he is going to set aside for. I'm, I'm particularly speaking of pastoral ministry, but right. women as well for missionaries, that type of thing. And so uh, 1 Timothy 3, 1 says that if anyone aspires or desires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so just have the freedom to say, like, what you're experiencing, if you desire the ministry, if you desire to be a pastor, to help people know Christ more, to help people understand the word more, to disciple people, to evangelize, those types of things, if that is what you want to do, that that's a good thing that Paul says that that is a noble task that you're aspiring to, and to not run from that, that there is much joy. And if anything, I think that you will find more pain and heartache by running from that if the Lord is truly calling you to it than by submitting to it and, and, and giving into it. So the first thing is just, do you desire it or not? So if you're feeling a call, if you feel like there may be a call to ministry, do you aspire to what ministry is? Yeah. And make sure that you're not aspiring to a caricature of the ministry. Wow. Listen, the ministry is not for the faint of heart. Uh, oftentimes in America, in our self-help generation or past 50 years of this, uh, we have turned the ministry into a vocation that could be very easy and very yeah nonchalant, where as long as you have something good to say on Sunday mornings, um, you're, you're pretty much good to go. You can fake it till you make it kind of a deal. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that's not the biblical call to ministry. Yeah. Ministry is difficult. It is heart, heartbreaking. It is heartaching. Uh, and it is something that it can be, at the same time, one of the easiest vocations. It is rightly, I think, biblically, one of the hardest vocations to do well because uh, there is a lot more freedom. There's a lot more personal responsibility that you have to have to, to make it 
faithful. You're going to have people that don't like you. That's exactly right. There's, in the church and out of the church. That's exactly right. And that, then I think this is why Paul speaks of the spiritual burden of the churches too. Like you, you oftentimes will know what people need to do, but if they're not willing to follow and be faithful, it will just break your heart. That they're they're walking down a path that you know leads to destruction, yet they're unwilling to heed wise counsel. So the first thing is, do you desire that? Do you desire yeah. to truly help people? Not do you desire to go play golf three days a week and to hang out with youth groups and eat a lot of pizza. Gosh, like, my golf game is embarrassing. <laughs> there you go. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, second, I would I would I would tell you that if you're discerning this call to ministry, go talk to your pastor or your elders or whatever the the, sure. the, the uh, polity of your church is go speak to, to one of your mentors in the church because ultimately there is no such thing as like a lone ranger Christian first and foremost but there's also someone that can't just affirm their own call to ministry I think that the local churches are the ones that appoint elders and teachers within the church and so um, seek out counsel wise counsel from your pastors from your elders on, on do they see this as well and oftentimes my personal experience and I've heard from others is that they've been sensing that the same time you have, but they were waiting yeah. for you to maybe say something. And so um, is that maybe even y'all's experience where, where you were sensing this sure. and then you went to talk to somebody? Yeah, and they just affirm that call in, in your life. So, But I'll tell you this also, sometimes they can affirm what's not the call in your life. And that's sure. incredibly clarifying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, the third, third and final thought I'd add to those who are considering a call to ministry uh, is to do your best to be prepared that the call to ministry is one to prepare, to equip yourself, because ultimately, leaders in the church, Ephesians 4 tells us, are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so your job as a leader in this church, whatever it may be, is going to be equipping the saints. And if you notice, if you keep reading there in Ephesians 4, it's largely doctrinal to know, yeah. to have the knowledge of the Son of God, so that they're not tossed to and uh, fro by everyone to doctrine. Mm. So does that mean a seminary education? In our day and age, probably so doesn't always mean that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spurgeon, we could list countless bunion of others who were not formally trained. So it doesn't equal seminary education. However, sure. um, my question would be, why would you not if you could? That, that, that it, it is such an word. accessible means for us to be more equipped, to learn from those who have gone before and to challenge ourselves uh, to be more equipped to rightly divide the, the word of truth. And yeah. so I would encourage you to get as much discernment from those in your, in your life that can affirm or help you think through the issues and then seek to figure out what that means uh, when it comes to being equipped. Because you ultimately, you cannot give people what you do not know. Mm. You cannot be helpful if you do not have the Word of God within you and helping them understand it uh, rightly. And so um, the other thing is this is a plug for my, my beloved boss, Dr. Jason Allen. He wrote a book on this, uh, Discerning Your Call to Ministry. So I would, I would call you to uh, get that book, read through it. I think it's very helpful. And uh, I think you could brought, get a lot of wisdom and, and further action steps to take. Absolutely. I just gave that book to a young guy uh, that just graduated from the U of A. And he's hey, looking hey. At, at going into ministry, and, and he's devouring it and discerning that call. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Tyler, thank you for being with us so, so much. I, I got a couple questions okay. still, though. You keep up with football much? Uh, I have actually deleted the ESPN app on my wow. phone because I found, so I have, I'm a lay pastor here in Liberty. Sure. I, I work a full-time job. I'm also a full-time PhD student. Um, and uh, so, and I have three children. I was about to say, you got a couple kids. All right. Yeah, we you, got, you stay stacked. So I, I am, and so basically I found I can't do social media. Uh, not that I think it's sinful or anything like that. I found it was probably actually sinful for me. Sure. But so eliminated that from my life, and then I found that I was actually replacing my time with the ESPN app. So if you would have asked me six months ago, did I follow football? Oh, the answer would have probably been yeah. I, I want to know, Tyler. You're <laughs> saying this in yeah. the off season. Yeah, that's that true. doesn't really well, mean that's a lot true. when it comes to the that, season. You know, you're, you're probably calling my bluff, actually. Uh, okay, so, so, so 
so a little bit of revealing stuff. Who was the toughest opponent you played in the GAC? Oh man, uh, Harding. Harding. Yeah, Harding University. Harding. And it was largely they were, man, they were very disciplined. Sure. And so we we were not able to sneak many things past them. And to be honest, I was just very unsuccessful in my career against Harding. Yeah. So we beat up on OBU when we played there. They were usually pretty good. Oh, man, talking uh, smack. Dr. Sales has been on the podcast. <laughs> uh, several other football guys yep. have been on the podcast. I think so I was, hear that. I yes. think I was three and four versus OBU, sure. and uh, that was really fun. Hender we had a harder time with Henderson, too. Yep. Uh, but Harding, they, I found that they were, for the Christian school, I know OBU is Christian as well, they were the dirtiest, I think, that I played. <laughs> I found uh, my ankles getting twisted more against Harding. I found... Uh, a, a lot more trash talk against Harding, but they were just they they were fearless. Sure. They, they would throw their bodies around on the field. I think I got hit the most. It felt like against Harding. We've got a lot of listeners Man. that play or hang out in the GAC conference. Uh, the last thing, what's the greatest leadership lesson that you have learned from being a quarterback? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, that. I wish you would have asked me this before. This is, I, I, I'm going to say something that I'm going to kick myself in a couple of minutes. Like, okay. Actually, it could have been this. I think that um, from playing quarterback, that I would probably wrap it up with integrity is essential. Wow. That, because I, I, my whole time in college, at, my, at SAU in college, um, I was an outspoken evangelical Christian, sure. so they knew that. But if I was not consistent with it, if I did not have the life to back it up, if I was not willing to be there for my teammates wow. and to yeah, give them rights, whatever it may be, like love them in physical, tangible ways to where they saw that I, I wasn't just simply telling them the gospel, but I was actually trying to love them well. Um, I think that that was one of the biggest things that I learned with playing quarterback and specifically just being around my teammates is that, yeah. man, being a leader is first and foremost in a lot of ways being a person of integrity, mm. being someone that can be trusted, that, that you're not going to be a hypocrite. You're not going to uh, say you're all in and then give halfway effort or that type of thing. So wow. I think that's what I'd say for now. That's, that's a good, good answer. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us on the Lead Defend podcast. And we had to get you to Arkansas to come yeah, hang out with some people. Sure. Would love so, to. We'll yeah, make my, it my parents would really appreciate that. That's good. I bet they would, especially good. seeing those grandkids. That's right. As hey, much as they can. Remember to put on your calendar the Lead Defend conference. Go to leaddefend.org to find out more information. And until next time, it's been a joy. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. To hear more episodes from the Lead Defend crew, visit absc.org slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, rate and review us on your favorite podcast listening site. Want to learn more information about the next Lead Defend conference? Visit leaddefend.org.